It's Filmsy. What are we watching? Rylan and I are going to talk about what we're watching, hopefully without spoilers. We're going to bring in some of our very best contributors, Jesse, Jacob, Michael. I'm really excited to hear what everybody's watching. Rylan, how's everything going? Everything's great here. Really uh, have a couple of series that I'm excited about talking about. It's I'll tell you bad. what, the world's been really weird, but yeah, I think because there was so much going on, there's a lot of good, even new content out. Do you think like in another like five or six months or something like that, that we're going to have just like a dry spell because people weren't filming during the pandemic? Yeah, I do, because I, I think they will close that gap very quickly. But I think there's going to be a time where live content gets pretty thin. Are we going to run out of things eventually? Are we going to have a gap? I've been following this somewhat online as production on a lot of stuff has started to ramp back up. I'm not sure that you're going to see just like a wasteland of no content, but I think there might be less content than what there would normally be. Marvel, or I should say Disney Plus, has a couple of Marvel shows that are supposed to come out before Christmas. There's a new season of The Mandalorian that's pretty much in the can that's supposed to be out in October. Right. If they can put NBA players in a bubble so they can entertain us and do their job, how can they not get those little adorable Canadian kids to get back in there so we can finish Stranger Things Season 4? <laughs> well, I know that season was... I think they had to pause the filming of that season. They did, yeah. I think they paused the filming of Fargo Season 4. Um, although they did just release a teaser for that today. So there could be an announcement about Season 4 of Fargo pretty soon. I know that I've been reading that they're taking precautions. They're, they're having closed sets. The crews are really small. There's some filming techniques that are coming around that could really help limit the number of people that are required for a set. Robot, I, robotic no, cameras. Yeah. In all honesty, I, I am really interested to see what sort of efficiency and automation comes from this just by based on necessity. Yeah. I, I mentioned the Mandalorian earlier and they have a filming technique that greatly reduces the need for a number of crew. They film in a way where they film in a 360 degree LED screen. Minimal sets are built. The camera is uh, usually one camera inside that 360 degree structure and you're really just the director and who's filming that day. A lot of shows could move to that. It reduces special effects costs. It reduces practical effects costs so you don't have to have as many people on set. It sucks that those jobs are lost but it could keep content coming at a more steady pace. Yeah I was about to say I bet the union is a big fan of the new tape. Yeah really. Sounds like I, a lot of people are out of jobs, but yeah, and maybe those people can find some sort of uh, way to stay in the business. And over time, what it would mean is more stuff gets made. The less people need needed, and the more technology is relied on, the more I think content will be out there. The more people that can make their own original stuff over time, so people might go from behind the camera to another role within uh, the industry. Guys, let's talk about what we're watching. Let's start with The Great. I watched The Favorite two years ago at Belcourt Theater. I really was impressed with the film. It took me a while to get used to kind of its crass nature and how irreverent it was toward like the vernacular of the day. And there was a lot of things like, I don't think they would say that back then. But once you got acclimated, you, you got what the filmmakers were going for. And it was just terrific. Try to take something from a different period and they make it analogous to some issue of the day, right? Of present day. Once I sort of got going with The Great, took myself a little less seriously from like maybe Jacob you can relate to this from a like a historical standpoint yeah. I just really enjoyed the show what is it about the great that brings it into the modern area so what's the analogy I, I think what they're trying to get at is one small group of pre-chosen people more or less get to dominate culture and existence 
and pleasure while the rest of existence is unseen and has to do all the work. I think they just constantly, and how ridiculous Peter is. It's like somebody pays the bill for that, right? He lives this unconscious sort of existence. But obviously it's in a time where there's a lot of disease and war and famine. And I think they're just making an allegory. You know, not a whole lot has changed. I think it's just perfectly cast. Everyone has great chemistry on the show. It's something you can tell at the very beginning. There's other shows, maybe some that we'll talk about tonight, like Space Force, which I think are good shows, but the chemistry is not quite there yet. And a lot of comedies in the first season, the chemistry just doesn't come together. Not to say that The Great is a straight comedy, uh, but it does have a lot of comedic part. And it's yeah, hysterical. They- Watching Dakota Fanning's little sister be outstanding in the great makes me wonder of like the all-time greats of their older sibling was just a runaway hit, but they wound up being like the more talented actor or had the like maybe the longer career. Macaulay Culkin's little brother, uh, is it Kieran Culkin? Who's been in so many things. He's outstanding. He's on that all-star team as well as one of the little twins that were on. And their um, their younger sister was in like, she's in some great independent films. Like she's absolutely incredible. Uh, what's her name? Um, what, what are the, what's their last name? Who am I thinking? Uh, I know who you're talking about. She's in, she's in the Marvel movies too. Um, oh, she's outstanding. So like there's a, actually a <laughs> Quite a bit of people like that. Is can y'all think of anybody else that's on that All Star team? River and Joaquin Phoenix. Oh, yeah, yeah, but see, R- River Phoenix was just—he just died. I mean, I don't know that if Joaquin would have outlasted him, but Joaquin is my dad's favorite actor, and he's just in one really weird, good movie after the next. It's Elizabeth Olsen is the the breakout star. Right, boy, she's good. That's one thing about Hollywood is that you have a lot of families that, especially now, like you've had enough generations where you have like the Brolins, like you had uh, James Brolin, now you got you have Josh Brolin, so it's like you almost just have these generations, even of just grandfather, father, son, or daughter, and and just you see them take that uh, step, even with Bryce Dallas Howard, you know, the daughter of Ron Howard, and all the things that she's done on screen and behind the behind the screens, you know, she was one of the directors directors of one of the episodes of the Mandalorian. Yeah, she directed, I believe the fourth episode, and it's a uh, riff on Seven Samurai. There's this village being attacked. They rally to fight off the bandits or whatever, but she did a great job directing that. And in in the Mandalorian behind the scenes show, she talks about that sort of pedigree you're talking about, these families that are Hollywood royalty. She talks about meeting Akira Kurosawa, who directed Seven Samurai. And then she's going to direct a show that pays homage to that movie. Her father has sort of shepherded her career and praised her and lifted her up. Jacob, what are you watching right now? I've actually been revisiting some shows I'm glad you said it because I think that's a big thing five months in. It's getting tough to just not be around people as much. I think a lot of people are going to things that are more familiar. Well, the the biggest thing that I've recently revisited is the West Wing. And I'm a I'm a political junkie and I was interested in watching the West Wing in light of our current political climate just to kind of see how it stood up. And I was really impressed with the way in which large parts of that show remain evergreen and how it it, it was tackling issues 20 years ago that we're playing out more so today. In, in the very first episode, there's a whole monologue on the internet and privacy, and that's 1999. That is a huge deal now, bigger, more so than it was 20 years ago, obviously. And so I really kind of appreciate that aspect of that show to have the prescience of tackling issues that remain constant throughout American society. They deal with race and policing in a few episodes. They deal with 
veterans and mental health. And then I also recently watched uh, Ava DuVernay's 13th, her documentary about how the 13th Amendment has been sort of reappropriated in her interpretation to lead to mass incarceration. It is actually on YouTube for free, and it's also on Netflix. I believe, an Academy Award-winning documentary. What I appreciated about it is that it did interview both sides of this issue, wherein 13th Amendment stated, you know, it ended slavery except in instances for punishment, uh, criminal punishment. And so her narrative throughout the documentary is tracing the evolution of the abolition of slavery through Jim Crow and through the Civil Rights Movement and through the criminal reform bill of the 90s, how it shifted away from outright slavery to incarceration and Jim Crow and legal slavery, creating laws that kept a segment of the population in perpetual crime and incarceration. I was very surprised to see Newt Gingrich, and he is very blunt and forthcoming about what the Republican goal of the 80s were. I appreciated that. It's just fascinating to kind of see history from a different perspective. We're obviously living in a moment where I think it's good for us to try to learn as much as we can. Jesse, you have been a police officer in a large city. Can pop culture's influence on what we're going through now and a movement we're seeing, is pop culture's role, film and television, is it overstated, understated uh, in your mind from someone that's actually been kind of on the front lines of the seeds of kind of these issues? I wonder if a police officer or even like a black man that's been incarcerated would say 10 years from now, it's like, you know, that movie that Michael B. Jordan did where he was the young lawyer that went down to Alabama, you know, that really got people to thinking, like, because I saw that film and people love 13th, like he said, it's, it's been so well received. I wonder, like, sometimes I think, yeah, this is how we're going to impact this stuff. We're all going to watch the same stuff and we're all going to kind of think about it. But I wonder if someone that's been a police officer or someone that's been in jail before would think the same thing. I don't know. I It gets to a point where, like, you see something on TV and it's real, and then you, you go out and you live it, and it's just different. Like, I mean, it, honestly, most police officers that I know, and, and granted, it's, it's I only know police officers for the most part in Nashville and, and who they are, how they act, and I know how they treat people. I mean, I would say some of it has to do with that, maybe what you watch, but a lot of it's going to be how you were raised, and, and you're gonna you're also going to change a lot once you get on and once you start uh, going out on the street street and making those decisions every day and, and meeting different people and those people affecting how you do things differently and I, I guess treat certain people certain ways but I mean I'd say most of all people are trying to be most of the people I worked with were trying to be good people and trying to do the right thing but I, I mean I, I could see something like that helping people definitely it could also hurt people so I mean it's just like anything I mean you, it's, it's how the person's going to take it and I, I would definitely say the, the more good that's out there that is is trying to bring people together it's going to be better whereas you got the you know types of media that are trying to pull us apart i think are going to pull us apart and that's what they're going to do they're going to create divides and it's very hard to reach a person that has had their mind completely made up and you know not many people have their mind completely made up most of the times you can talk to people and have a good conversation with some people but there are certain people out there who are very hard to talk to very hard to interact with because they already have their mind made up whoever whether it's a police officer has their mind made up about a certain type of person or another certain type of person have their mind made up about police officers well michael he makes a really good point that conversation has sort of stalemated on a lot of the big issues in this country but when we look in film history roe versus wade 
had a big impact on the conversation and sort of the narrative of kind of the abortion issues and the Supreme Court decisions in 1973. Michael, what role do you think film and television could play in the issues that we're seeing this summer? Well, it's giving opportunities for voices to be heard. Uh, you mentioned earlier about Just Mercy and Brian Stevenson and his his story and his cause wanting to help out those that are unfairly incarcerated. So, so having those opportunities and having those stories being told uh, helps to bring about the conversation. Now, that's the that's the crux of it, though having having the conversation and being open to listening and to having a dialogue. And I think that film and TV have the opportunity to present opportunities to start the conversation, but it's indicative on us to be open to having that dial, to having that conversation, and to be able to listen and to really understand perspectives that we don't have necessarily from our end uh, and be better to em- empathize uh, with those that, that are having those struggles and having experiences that we don't have personally and, and, and vice versa. And so I, I think that ultimately it's it's giving opportunities uh, to hear new stories that or, or stories that haven't been told yet, but then using that as a springboard to having dialogue and having conversation. Uh, that's a really good point. And the reason why I bring it up is interesting thing about our culture. A lot of people, they don't want to get involved. They don't want to think about that. They're not going to read the Washington Post. They may not, you know, watch CNN or Fox News or whatever. But if Michael B. Jordan's in a movie... Just like in 1973, if a star is in something, they're going to watch it. And I I think a lot of people get informed by uh, film and television. And so I think it does have a pretty big impact. Yeah, I'd like to just put in here that pop culture has for a long time shaped the social narrative of this country. Um, Going back to Uncle Tom's Cabin before the Civil War, to Kill a Mockingbird, to Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, um, it plays a very powerful role. And Jesse has brought up that a lot of the young people he encountered during his time uh, as a police officer were heavily influenced by the media they were consuming and that their views on authority or right and wrong um, were were heavily influenced by the stuff they were putting into their, their mind and their heart. So I think pop culture does have a very powerful impact on shaping people's views and shaping their their beliefs and, and even influencing the way they act. Yeah, I wanted to add one thing to that. Uh, I think Jesse touched on this a little bit. The type of media and what you watch a lot of times will just reinforce the opinion that you already have. And that's kind of where I'm a little more cynical about it because I I feel like the only way that media will make the world better is, is when people with open minds are watching it. When you're watching media just to reinforce the opinion you already have, I think that creates more of a divide than than um, what was already there. Well, what about this, Rollin? What about uh, about a 10-year-old that's watching something because their favorite actor or their favorite thing, there was somebody in, and then they see it. They are open-minded. They are impressionable. So I think that's a part of the big impact because you're right. I have an open mind. I think everybody here has, we'll listen. We hear from people all the time, and they make their voice heard that aren't open-minded, but there are a lot of people that watch film and television that are kind of open-minded or on the fence or haven't really thought about it. And then there's this whole generation of uh, young people that they don't really care what their parents think or might say at the dinner table. They're, they like who they like. And I remember being very impressionable to social issues watching like Fresh Prince, you know, when I was 10 or 12 years old. And it didn't matter where I was from or what my parents, you know, what they thought or how they voted. And, and I think yeah, that is a big been, part know. of the, that's a big part of the verb of how uh, impactful 
film and television can be, be just because of who's watching. So I, I have, Ryland makes a great point, and I just want to interject here because I was who Ryland was talking about. In, in right around the time Obama was elected in 2008, I would have considered myself a pretty hard right person. I was listening to, to Rush Limbaugh at work and consuming conservative news. And um, someone actually has suggested The West Wing to me. And that was about the first time I watched through the series. Uh, I actually ordered the discs from Netflix. Uh, and The West Wing, I mean, I guess I had an open mind because The West Wing began to make me think of things from a different point of view. For those of you who don't know, The West Wing is about a democratic presidential administration navigating Washington. So it made me look at issues from the other side because you had to in order to understand the show. Um, And I think that that did open my mind and open my beliefs up and put me on a journey where I began to look at things more critically. I tried to look at things from more than one side. So pop culture absolutely has the ability to do that. And to speak to your point, Spice, about 10-year-olds, um, I was in a mentor group after school, and I took a group of kids to see Black Panther. And that movie heavily resonated with the African young African-American males in my mentor group because of the way in which it addressed... Um, fatherlessness uh, in the black community. And um, they are very perceptive to those kinds of themes and ideas. That that movie really resonated with those kids. And I'm really sorry that more positive stuff like that is not put out to appeal to that particular demographic. I feel like Black Panther is going to be landmark just because it's giving African-Americans opportunity to be you know, genre they haven't been before, but I thought the message, I remember taking Landon and Luke, who were like sons to me, and they were probably, you know, 15 and 13 at the time, and it resonated with them as, you know, as as white people, uh, because it's about, you know, being an underdog, and it's about channeling your anger, and it, it's a good message, but yeah, I really like that folks of color could, could resonate with the people on the screen, and I think we've had a revolution in that, and I think we've realized in the last five years, it's not that African Americans don't have the talent or the creativity, it's they have not been given the opportunity because we've seen them given the opportunity the last five years and we've seen what's happened. Rylan, I haven't seen this, but I'm looking forward to your pitch if if you think I should watch it, but you've been watching Netflix's Space Force. That's right, yeah. Uh, it's uh, Steve Carell's new show on Netflix. I like it a lot. Uh, as someone who works in, you know, in around government people, a contractor, I'm not a government myself, but um, this show has plenty of those as well. Uh, about the newly formed branch of the, of the uh, military, the Space Force, um, and a new general that's heading it up, and that's Steve Carell. And just about all the hijinks that goes on in the workplace it has a lot of strengths it has it has a really good cast as with a lot of comedies as we mentioned or chemistry between them isn't there yet i think if they're allowed a few more seasons they'll come into that and they'll grow into that uh, overall i mean it, you know i've had discussions with uh, another longtime contributor to this podcast justin tyler about this show we both agree that most people watching it probably think it's satire but but when you work um in the government, you realize that some of this stuff really kind of how it happened. Uh, that's in a good way and a bad way, I guess. Uh, you just have to watch it, see what I'm talking about. But um, it's a fun show. It's a fun show. And I I identify with some of the character. Who who else has seen this show? I Rylan had us watch the first episode on vacation. And I, I think I agree with with his analysis in that it did seem to me that the ensemble wasn't really clicking together, um, which is why it didn't kind of hook me. Um, But I also hadn't thought really that that's the way I felt about Parks and Rec. 
in its first season. And that's the way I felt about The Office in its first season. And I stuck with those shows. So I'm endeavored to try to give Space Force uh, another swing and try to make it through the whole first season uh, in the hopes that it continues to build and really creates a, uh, a, a good ensemble cast. And uh, hashtag Boots on the Moon. <laughs> Jesse, what did you think of Space Force? I also... Yeah, I also had a chance to watch. I've watched like the first, I think like six episodes. Um, I think it's, I think it's really funny. Uh, it's, it's very dry for sure. Uh, and so if you're not, if you don't pay attention, you can easily lose focus. I think <laughs> I'm pretty sure I've watched it with Rachel a couple times. Uh, she might have fallen asleep a couple times just because, uh, like the the humor is, that you really do have to pay attention to it. Some of it, some of it is just outright funny. Um, like the boots on the moon stuff just cracks me up because it's our government and and especially when Rylan tells me like that's like for real. Like he's like I would get an order like that if I was at work and he would say something like boots on the moon makes it even funnier to me. Um, so I, mean, I I enjoy it just because of just the situational comedy of it and you know this big general who's able to go in here and, and basically create this entire new you know part of the government where he's branch of the military really you know, and he has no idea what he's doing yeah branch of the military has no idea what he's doing with it and and it's it's very funny very funny and then of course you've got uh i can't think of the actor's name uh john ralphio from Parks and Rec, <laughs> really he's in it that's awesome just kind of just he's in yeah, it and uh, it, it really, he's one of my favorite characters in it let me see ben, ben schwartz is that his yeah, name? Ben, ben schwartz, schwartz. Yeah. yeah that's it um, I just want to add that the scenes with the chiefs of the, like the joint chiefs of staff are hilarious. There's you know one for every branch of the military, and those scenes are just gold. Michael, what are you watching? Well, I'm watching a couple of things. One I just finished uh, today actually, and that's uh, the fifth season of Last Chance You on Netflix. For those that uh, may not be aware of that show, it's a reality show essentially of junior college football and the triumphs the trials hardships and struggles of young men who are basically trying for their last chance essentially at uh, getting to division one football getting to the nfl and it's it's a really great show if you've never seen it. And in this season, this uh, this fifth season, uh, they went to a different college. The first two seasons, they were in Mississippi at East Mississippi Community College. Uh, the last two seasons, they were at Independence Community College. And this season, uh, they were at Laney College in Oakland. Uh, for me, I, I think this, this season has been the best season just because uh, a lot of the focus is on a group of players that they're not troublemakers. Like most of the ones that you saw from the first four seasons, there was always those couple of guys that were kind of the troublemakers that that's the reason why they ended up at community college at at junior college was because they either failed out of D1 or uh, they got in trouble with the law or something like that. These group of young men, they're local kids out of Oakland uh, or Stockton or the surrounding suburbs they're just looking for an opportunity and they're they're going to their hometown school essentially that as you see from through this season the previous season they had just won the national championship juco uh so they they're the they're the defending national champion and and you see their their story and like i said it's a really great group of guys the coach coach beam totally different from the two coaches that were highlighted in the previous seasons a lot more likable guy 
a lot more understanding guy. And really, it's it's a type of show that if you love football, you'll love this show. Uh, if you love stories about people overcoming hardships and struggles, you'll love this show. Uh, and if you just love good storytelling, uh, I, I think that you'll love this show as well. It's interesting you bring that up because I've always thought the subtext, a lot of people thought the subtext of Last Chance You was, oh, this person needs another chance or this person got in trouble. It's a, it's a chance for kind of redemption. I think the subtext really, and as they've kind of broadened out and gone other places, like you mentioned, I think they found interesting people. And so I applied the the makers of that show. A lot of time when you have a successful show, you, you're afraid to to make a change, but they, they moved campuses and they basically changed characters. But the subtext of that show is for every person we know of, for every famous athlete, for every NFL football player that is a household name, there are hundreds of kids who have that as their primary dream and still live that dream every day. And I just think that's so interesting. And to your point about... Yeah, you love football. You like that. But if you like a story of an underdog and you like a story of passion, um, you don't have to love football to probably like Last Chance You. And so that's the pitch that I would give it. And it's a well-made documentary. Uh, we all, a good friend, Rob Franks. And I remember Rob just despised football at times. Like he just didn't like it when we watched football together. But he loved Friday Night Lights. And I think that's the idea. He loved the television show Friday Night Lights because it's about football and it's not. All right, Jess, you came in a little late, and I know you've been a big fan of The Great Me, and Ryan talked about, you know, why we liked it for different reasons. What what pitch would you give for The Great? Um, I think, for me, the, the thing that entertained me the most is it was obviously Peter. His... His flippant attitude, it's, it's very funny. Uh, obviously, he's the bad guy, um, and he's really a terrible person, and... It, and I, I don't know. It was, it's it's entertaining to me to to watch uh, Catherine kind of try to figure out how she's gonna make all these things better, and then he just kind of comes along and he'll just do one thing that's so funny and so terrible, and just e- either mess everything up or or make her think that there's a chance. And there's always like these little things, and for some reason you want him to turn into a good guy somehow, but at the same time you also want her to like succeed and and kill him. <laughs> and it's just like you, you don't really know what to what you really want in the show, which is kind of fun because every episode you kind of have a different feeling of of you know who do I really want to win? Like, do I want him to be a good guy? Do I want her to win? Do like I don't know. And so I think that kept me wanting to watch the next episode was just that uh, not knowing what was going to come next and, and why, you know, how how are the you know writers going to change my mind this episode and what are they going to do to make me like this certain character or something like that. That is the beauty of that show and you so well outlined what makes that show go from good to great is Peter is awful. He's so hateable and he's also oh, he's endearing because I think the point they're making and we Ryan and I and Jacob talked about this earlier. He is, yes, what he is, but he is a product of generations of entitlement and being born into something. And I think that's the sort of political point they're making for modern day is like, he just is what he is. He's is what he was born to be, right? He's just this incredibly selfish person, but he's actually merry and kind of like endearing. And that's what makes it really, really complicated because almost all the great male characters in 
television are sociopaths, right? And it makes them interesting. And they're lovable. You know, think Don Draper, Tony Soprano, they're lovable. And they're also awful. Yes, I totally agree. Yeah, and I I just want to add one other thing to that. When you're born into it, like Spee said, you just don't see it. And so it, it, or it's really hard for you to see uh, the entitlement that you have. And I think that speaks to me as far as like with the Black Lives Matter movement, right? Um, they talk about white privilege and a lot of don't really understand that. And I got to say, I don't 100% understand it, but I do have friends that are African-American and I, I want to understand, you know, from their viewpoint what that means. It goes back to, you know, being open-minded about the media and the things that you watch. Um, you know, can you learn from uh, some piece of pop culture and what can it teach you? Peter you know, being totally blind to his uh, entitlement, you know, uh, speaks to me. Yeah, it speaks to you because uh, generations of your family's handsomeness, you and Jesse, y'all understand how you, you just, <laughs> you're just insulated from what the rest of us have to deal with, right? Jerks. We're all peasants to their aristocracy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but Jacob, your kids won't be, so at least there's something, right? You married in. I got a little bit of those genes through Minda. I guess my kids lucked out more than me. The last thing we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about briefly because we're going to do a teaser. This week, we're going to we're going to do a full kind of deep dive on Palm Springs, a film that came out just a couple of weeks ago. It's on Hulu. It was supposed to have a small theatrical release. It has in some way because of the renaissance of drive-ins, which I think is awesome. But it's been mainly in Hulu, and it's been the most watched i know the uh, streaming services are real kind of squirrely about you know their ratings and stuff but apparently been the most watched thing in hulu history i've watched palm Spring springs i know jesse and uh, rylan and jacob have maybe we get michael to watch it even it's a little crass i think for my usual taste and maybe michael's and i think we're going to have maybe justin and meredithon and uh, this week we're going to do a deep dive on that but without spoilers guys uh, give me the uh, 15 second pitch uh, for or kind of what you like most or whatever about Palm Springs. We'll start with you, Jesse. OK, well, first of all, there hasn't been a movie about repeating the same day over and over again that I haven't liked. <laughs> Edge of Tomorrow was great. Groundhog Day was great. This movie is great. I just love movies like this because I like seeing people go crazy living the same day and like just going through, like especially a- Andy Samberg going through the monotony of it and just totally giving up. Right, so great. And like, like it was, oh man, it's so entertaining for him to do that. Like, I mean, great for Bill Murray to do it, loved it. You know, seeing Tom Cruise do it, great. But Andy Samberg also, just so funny. And being able to see him go through that just made me laugh a whole lot. It is very crass, but the the story itself is is fun. And of course, you've got uh, what J.K. Simmons, yeah, who's in it, and he's like, fantastic. He's maybe the best character actor uh, like so, living. Oh yeah, oh man. And so like all of them, all just the combination of, of the the actors and then the the whole scenario, the story is great. So I mean, I would definitely. If anyone's just has a, an hour and a half free on any night of the week, just watch it real quick. It's fantastic. What's interesting about this movie is it's like the sequel of a movie we didn't see. It's so good. Like, we don't know anything. We don't know the origin of how we got there. I mean, we can guess it. But that's what I really like about that is we've already seen the origin. It's called Groundhog Day. The movie is in full sprint when we pick it up. I think that's something that this movie does very smartly, as Groundhog Day did, is it doesn't try to... Over- 
over-explain why they're trapped in a time loop. You're just dropped in the middle of the story. And it, my elevator pitch for this movie would be Groundhog Day for Millennials. It, it was really Love good. It. it does a great job sort of tracing two lost souls who... The, the concept of them repeating the same day is a metaphor for how their lives are stuck. The rest of the movie plays out beautifully. I thought it was great. It turned me on to a subgenre of this that I didn't ex- I didn't realize existed where there are entire essays on people trying to calculate how long Andy Samberg was in the time loop and how long Bill Murray was in his time loop in Groundhog Day. I didn't realize that that kind of stuff existed, but it's just a little niche subculture that's grown around this movie that's only been out for a summer, but is it's it's really become the summer pandemic movie uh i mean palm springs was blowing up over social media that's where i found out about it i was following a twitter feed that was reviewing it sounded super interesting and so minda and i sat down and watched it and and i didn't think minda would like it but she ended up enjoying it very very much i I don't i don't know if minda or the rest of the country would have liked it if we weren't going through what we're going through that would that would be a footnote. Oh, Andy Samberg was in that movie, and I think maybe all four of us might have watched it, but it's going to be a big hit, and I think it's because of the circumstances that we're in. Rylan, mm-hmm. at what point in the movie did you realize, oh, his name is Niall. He's a nihilist. This movie has a lot of connotation philosophically, which I love stuff like that, whether it's The Good Place or My Name is Earl. Not a coincidence, right? Did that ever occur to you, Rylan? No, I wasn't uh, thinking about name, the names. His, uh, his name is Nile because he is, as Jacob mentioned or alluded to, the ultimate nihilist, right? Especially at, at a point in the movie. Yeah, he's given up. I mean, he's just content to stay in his loop and live with it. And I, I just no say, hope. I just say that because I love to blow Rylan's mind. And like he watches an entire <laughs> movie and he's like, "You do that to me all the time." I, I, I didn't think about that. that. Like what? <laughs> but I mean, Nile's not a common name, and it's N Y. L-E, like uh, Jesse Wright, he, that's, it's an homage to, uh, this is a, this is a movie as much about philosophy as it is anything else, and you can say the same thing about Groundhog Day. Yeah, I, I feel like uh, it's also a metaphor for, for being stuck in your head with maybe like a, a, a decision that you regret. I don't want to get into the analysis of this. I want to do that later in the week. I will say, Jesse, you left out one really awesome infinite time loop. It's a show, not a movie, but Russian Doll. If you guys haven't seen Russian Doll, please go watch that. I told you guys uh, last year, I'm pretty sure we we had long discussions about our top 10, top five, and that's that's been on my 2019 top five. That's really says something because last year there were a lot of good shows that came out. You guys need to check out Russian Doll. I'm not going to say any more about Palm Springs because I really want to do the deep dive later on this week. I'm almost positive we'll invite you to do that deep dive thank you friend uh, this that has been great guys and i know jesse i asked you that question uh do you have a response on the philosophy of palm springs uh actually i hadn't really even thought about it uh when i watched it with rachel we were probably half asleep but we enjoyed laughing a lot but now that you went after jacob started talking about it, i was like man that really is a movie for millennials who literally feel like they're repeating the same day over and over again anyways because that's everyday life and and that's why you see millennials change their job every two years because they feel like they're stuck in the rut. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a great millennial movie, and, and I I'd, I'd, I'd would enjoy getting in the deep dive next week. Absolutely, you're in. Well, Jacob brings that up, but uh, Stephen King says uh, most of his books have been the intersection of two ideas. 
And as I was watching that, Rylan, you bring it up where you really think it's among other things about how we have to forgive ourselves. To me, yeah. the intersection, the two ideas of this is what if Groundhog Day met the worst decision he ever made? What if Bill Murray didn't wake up to some random reporting he had to do? What if he woke up to the stupidest most irresponsible thing he'd ever done. That is a great intersection and makes for a really excellent premise, but sometimes premises are not executed, and I think it's excellent premise and really good execution. Absolutely. Uh, Very well stated. That's going to wrap up Filmsy for this week. Jesse and Jacob and Michael, and of course my co-host Rylan, and we will see you soon. Bye.